The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to this bonus episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, covering a Wizards special issue titled Beyond Zero Hour, a comprehensive look at DC Comics. Wondering if Hawkman's continuity problems could have been streamlined by rebooting him as a character called Wild Willy Wingman? I'm Adam. And I never met a crisis I didn't like. Well, except Crisis in Infinite Earths and Final Crisis. I'm Michael. <laughs> So, uh, this special issue, it was a tie-in to DC Comics' Zero Hour Crisis in Time crossover event from 1994, which we've been teasing this episode for a long time for all of you, and so was DC Comics and Wizard. It was kind of, it's coming, Zero Hour's gonna happen, and we're finally here to discuss this in depth. So we're gonna give our review of the event itself in the second half of the podcast, but in actuality, Beyond Zero Hour is more of a history and a hype book for all of the DC titles past and present, just trying to fill in new readers, I guess, on how the publisher was planning to revamp their stalwart characters for the 90s and introduce a few new ones along the way. So I'd just say we, we got to start out here, Michael, without giving too much away regarding your current thoughts on the story now that you've revisited it. What was your experience with Zero Hour in the 90s? I remember being incredibly overwhelmed with the amount of books they were pumping out related to Zero Hour. Like, as a kid, I could not keep up. And I think at some point, because after I reread it recently, I realized I never finished the entire actual main book because I was so overwhelmed by all the different tie-ins that, like, I just may have dropped off and got bored or tired with it or whatever, but I was just remember being overwhelmed. Yeah. For me, it was something where I definitely remember it being announced, you know, reading about it in Wizard, thinking the name was cool, and seeing the logo, that was memorable, and, you know, posters up in my local comic shop, but I only ever bought one of the tie-in issues. It was Superman Man of Steel number 37. It was the one with all the different Batmans from every era on the cover. Did you have that one? I did have that one, yeah. I tried finding that in my long boxes, but I don't know which box it's in, but I remember that cover because I also remember there was a poster for that cover. Yeah. Uh, and I remember seeing that in my comic shop, and I wanted it so badly, but my comic shop guy would not give it to me. Like, come on, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those things, though, where it was like, it was a fun little story where they were kind of you know, playing with Batman's history, but it didn't make me want to go read more. Like, I didn't want to find out what Zero Hour was actually about, and I think I even that issue, I eventually just traded it to a friend. You know, I was like, I don't need this anymore. You know, so I was like, it, it did not make a mark on me other than yes i remember it happened but i didn't pursue it very deeply but i i have to ask you this michael I, I sent you a few scans of this issue what do you think then of the alex ross cover art here and i'll just describe it real quick for the listeners you guys can check it out on social media this is a very classic overhead lighting shot that alex ross loves to do and it's batman and superman just with their arms folded and they're back to back kind of looking 
looking at the reader. So Alex Ross has done variations of this cover in several different iterations, different lengths for Batman's cowl, maybe a different, little bit thinner face. This is the only one that you get the Alex Ross Superman mullet, which I find pretty hilarious. <laughs> well, it, but this is what I was wondering because he's notoriously like finicky about like I draw a certain era of a character, yeah. I don't draw whatever is the current version. So I think he was just so young in his career. He must have caved to that. This was probably one of his earliest DC gigs that even got to do this, and I would assume he probably just went along with it because it was his first real foray into DC Comics art. And he was like, well, if I gotta do this mullet-haired Superman, I'll do it. But after, you know, Kingdom Come, he was all business. This is the way I'm doing it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, now the only thing I'll say about this, and I know it probably has a lot to do with the model that he was using, but Batman in this picture is thick. I mean, this is yeah. kind of like Dark Knight Returns Batman. He's got a super chubby, very large jaw. Like, his face yeah, is just very flat. I mean, it's, like, so, it's sort of like a fat man face, yeah. if you will. <laughs> Ears on the cowl kind of remind me of, like, the 1940s serial-style cowl. That they look a little like, floppy to you. They, they little floppy, a little pointed out in odd directions. But like I said, he's done this type of drawing a bunch of times in different styles and different variations, but same poses. This is not my favorite of that style. Not at all. Like it actually, I don't even remember this issue coming not out back in the day like this. It is so unremarkable in like the font that they use for Beyond Zero Hour is just ugly. It looks like it's a PlayStation 1 game. Mm -hmm. and yeah. This is like the font they're using for it. And even on the inside, it's like a whole bunch of like, they have these sections where it's just like all these weird like psychedelic colors everywhere and then they have like cutouts of the characters you know overlaid and it's just it's it's not a good looking magazine so i actually i reached out to doug goldstein did you really i did because he was in charge of a lot of the wizard special issues and he had done the dark book prior to this and that looked mm -hmm. awesome yeah it did look and good. so i asked him to explain to me why did this look so terrible <laughs> And oh his God. response was, quote, I have zero memories of this book. I think there was no pun intended there by Doug, but <laughs> you never know. He's a funny guy. But then we determined as we were going back and forth that he was the production manager on the issue, which he explained meant, quote, I just got it printed. I had no hand in how it looked. So he will not take responsibility. So yeah, well, maybe whoever did is, is lost to time. Yeah, uh, this was looked like it was really designed on like an Apple IIe or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really rough. <laughs> it's not well laid out, especially being as far into Wizard as we are at this point. This was not a well-executed layout for this particular book, especially this cover is just not great. But, I mean, it still has some interesting stuff inside of it. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about how it looks, but let's talk about what it was really giving us the inside scoop on here, Michael. It starts out with a rather lengthy discussion of DC history. So, Wizard uses the first 40 pages. You heard me. Not four, but 40 pages <laughs> of Beyond Zero Hour to take us back through the 60-year history of DC Comics. And there's some interesting details in the mix. For example, 
Did you know DC started as National Allied Publications? I actually do remember hearing it being called that back in the day. I think in some sort of like probably like a Batman documentary of some sort. I think it was even like the Batman and Bill Finger documentary that was on Hulu a couple of years ago that they mentioned it being called National Allied Publications. What's funny is that if it stayed under that name, we'd be referring to all of the historic nap comics characters. <laughs> hey, I love those nap characters. They're so great, man. Nap comics. They put me right to sleep all the time. <laughs> it's fantastic. It'd be a joke you couldn't avoid. Doesn't that really just roll off the tongue? You know, it's just like, ah, I'm going to chill with some nap comics right <laughs> The founder Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson originally put out New Fun Comics number one in 1935, and issue number six featured the first published crime fighter from Superman creators Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel named Dr. Occult. I've actually heard of Dr. Occult. Really? Absolutely. 100%. Now, here's the thing. As as this story goes on, Nap Comics apparently weren't selling well. You think? So, yeah, imagine that. Uh, so, Wheeler Nicholson partnered with a guy named Harry Donenfeld to create a new company that they called Detective Comics, which originally featured non-costume crime fighters like Slam Bradley, which is another Siegel and Schuster creation. Oh, boy. Of course, course, the pair would have their greatest success with Superman, who later premiered in Action Comics number one in 1938 after many years of being shopped around to various publishers. Nobody wanted this Superman character. But this was the birth of the superhero. But it was an era where non-powered heroes with alliterative names like Hop Harrigan and Speed Saunders and Tex Thompson, Scoop Scanlon, like this, this was the norm. If you thought that Stan Lee created the alliterative name no 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 <laughs> oh boy it's funny like these characters that were created back then i don't know what was the affinity for these alliteration names it's just because it was a way to, like brand them i don't know what it was the deal with that you know yeah i think i think it's just a it rolled off the tongue a little nicer for the folks out there it was just fun yeah that's scoop scanlon he's one of my favorites <laughs> yeah surprisingly though the next costume adventurer from DC was not the Dark Knight, but the Sandman, who wore a gas mask and put his enemies to sleep with a sleeping gas gun. They probably stole that idea from Nap Comics. They're like, hey, <laughs> here we go. A All nod right. to our history. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Batman would eventually premiere, obviously, in Detective Comics number 27 in 1939, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, though I'm sure in the zero-hour issue of Wizard, Bill Finger was nowhere to be mentioned. I'm actually, I was really surprised they mentioned him a no lot. Way. Like, they knew back then how involved he was. It's really surprising. Really? Yeah. There was also a lot of input from Jerry Robinson. We could do a whole podcast about the Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson, Batman history, because there is a lot of it. But that is for 
another bonus episode, another day, another time. One month later, Superman became the first character ever to headline their own title book with Superman Comics number one. This was a major innovation in the medium. This had never been done before, which seems so I know. Yeah, there's no character popular enough to have their own comic with their name on it? (laughs) I guess. And, and, And Shazam came out around the same time, too. Yeah, yeah, shortly thereafter, yeah. So at this time now, Max Gaines, who was the guy who actually created the comic book format, uh, decided to get in on the superhero craze by publishing his All-American comics through DC. And All-American produced Flash Comics number one in 1940, which featured the debut of not only the Jay Garrick Flash, co-created by Sheldon Mayer and Gardner Fox, but also the original Hawkman, who Jeff Johns, or Jeff Johns, who uh <laughs> I I I, mix, I don't know why I mix up Jeff Johns and Dan Jurgens so much. Oh, I do it all the time. They're, they're just generic white guys. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> but also the original Hawkman, who Dan Jurgens focuses heavily on in Zero Hour. But meanwhile, DC had introduced the Spectre, which was another Jerry Siegel creation without Joe this time, and similarly an emerald-clad hero, the Alan Scott Green Lantern, as imagined by Martin O'Dell, but they note that he had a lot of help from Bill Finger in actually fleshing out the character and creating stories. Wow, that's interesting. I will be honest, of the Flashes, I have the closest connection with Wally West, just from being a kid, and that was the character. But I love Jay Garrick. I always loved that character. And my friends would be really mad for me to say this. Though I like, you know, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart... I really love the Alan Scott character because he's such a different style Green Lantern than the others that I yeah. I, I love that character. And Hawkman, I can, you know, I had the <laughs> Hawkman uh, superpowers figure as a kid, which was pretty cool. One of the wings did break off at one point. I mean, uh, my, my connection to Hawkman these days is a little more personal because I have a friend who's uh, he's working a lot these days. His name's Omid Abtahi. Uh, we went to high school together, did shows together. And he is actually voicing Hawkman in the new DC animated film that's coming that's, out. So That's awesome. The, yeah. the JSA one? Uh-huh. Wow, that's really cool. That's amazing. That's awesome. So another iconic event in this era was the formation of the Justice Society of America, a team of heroes consisting of characters from both DC and all-American comics universes. The first super team, the first major crossover between publishers. This is a big deal in comics, and the Justice Society of America is one of my favorite teams in all of comics, personally. Also at this time, in 1941, Wonder Woman debuted in the pages of All-Star Comics number 8 and would go on to headline Sensation Comics, eventually getting her own title in 1942. It took seven years before another superhero got their own book with Superboy number 1 in 1949. Sadly, Green Lantern and Flash both ended this same year 
which was basically the ending of the Golden Age. So then, at this point, the superhero craze subsided in the early 50s, giving way to more science fiction and Western-themed uh, comics from DC like Tomahawk, about a Davy Crockett-style frontiersman who was raised by Native Americans. The Trigger Twins, who were identical cowboy heroes, a space adventurer named Tommy Tomorrow, war heroes eventually like Sergeant Rock and Blackhawk, that team. Uh, then, in 1956, with showcase number four, a new version of the Flash was introduced, and soon, other Golden Age heroes like the Atom and Green Lantern were also rebooted for what became known as the Silver Age of comics. And it should be mentioned that this was the first time there was this meeting between the Golden Age Flash, you know, Jake Garrick, and the Barry Allen Flash of the Silver Age, and that created the concept of a DC multiverse. That's where it all started. It basically created the many problems that Zero Hour is trying to fix. <laughs> you know, I hate that they feel like having the multiverse is a problem. Yeah. Personally. I love the concept of the multiverse. I believe in this idea in a lot of ways. The only thing I noticed that I didn't see mentioned was, was Jonah Hex kind of around at this time too? Did I, I looked that up, and he was—he actually came much later, which surprised me. I thought he would—he would have been in the fifties during the, but no, he came like more like seventies, oh, which was wow. weird. Yeah, that, that's weird. Like I think the idea of multiple Earths and different things, like you could tell any stories you want if they're based on different Earths. Who cares? And it would be great. There, they are now. Funny enough, leaning into that now, and there's with infinite frontier and all those things but it's funny that it took them so long to say you know what instead of just wiping everything out again we're just gonna say everything's relevant now <laughs> that's, what, that's what they do now new heroes of this time included the martian manhunter in 1956 and aquaman in 1959 who would go on to be founding members of the rebooted Justice Society, which was now the Justice League of America. On a side note, it was the popularity of this team book that led to Stan Lee creating the Fantastic Four and launching the Marvel Age of Comics. This led to a battle between the classic superheroes of DC versus the down-to-earth troubled heroes of Marvel on newsstands throughout the 1960s. And then as you got into the 70s, this is what's interesting, is DC then got more into like horror in haunted dwellings. That's that's the genre I like to call it, because they had titles like House of Mystery, House of Secrets, that's where Swamp Thing debuted, Secrets of Sinister House, Tales of Ghost Castle, and most ridiculously, Mansion of Forbidden Love. <laughs> ooh, ooh la la. <laughs> Other oddball titles of this era included Prez, the Teenage President, and Plop, a humor magazine. Basically, Mad Magazine you, for you DC. You want to know a fun fact? <laughs> yeah. They, they brought back Prez during the New 52. Yes, I remember this. It, it was a female Prez this time, it, right? It was, it was a female Prez. It lasted a decent amount of time, maybe about 25 issues, and then... It just went out with the dodo again. Yeah, they were kind of trying a lot of weird stuff. And then in contrast to that style of book, Green Lantern and Green Arrow then teamed up for these socially conscious adventures, right? Going across the USA, teaching each other things, thanks yeah. to Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. That same creative team also helped Batman get away from the Adam West-style hero and back to the dark detective inspired by the shadow. Because the shadow knows. <laughs> Who also got his own comic written by Denny O'Neill in this era. 
Got it right over here on my shelf. First issue. <laughs> Plus, two personal favorites of mine, The Huntress and Power Girl, were created during this time as part of Earth 2 Adventures in the revival of All-Star Comics. And I actually have the first appearance of Huntress right above me. Yeah! Secret Origins of he- Superheroes, number 17. I remember running into those always in the back issue bins and be like, who are these old heroes? You know, but it wasn't old comics. It was old yeah. heroes, but drawn in that modern 70s, early 80s era. Yeah. So now DC also, as Michael mentioned, was relaunching Shazam Captain Marvel uh, many years after having bled their rifle publisher Fawcett dry through legal battles, which coincided with the reintroduction of many forgotten characters they had absorbed over the years like Plastic man and the ray from quality comics or the comet and the shield from mlj aka archie comics when they were trying to get into more superhero stuff blue beetle captain adam and the question from charlton comics and even fighting american from prize comics who would later go on to be the subject of a lawsuit between marvel and rob liefeld wouldn't you know (laughs) Really? Fighting American? No kidding. Yeah. So, some of these characters are some of my favorite C-list characters. Like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. is a really cool character. Ted Kord, Blue Beetle, I love that character. Captain Adam. But honestly, one of my favorite characters, and I don't know if you know this or not, but The Question is one of my favorite characters, and... Alan Moore, the Watchmen book, the uh, Rorschach, is is loosely based on the question. Yeah, like, I did, and Blue Beetle is basically, you know, Night Owl, and yeah, yeah. like, because that was his original pitch, is he wanted to use the Charlton characters, but DC said, no, we want to try to develop them. I mean, we just got them. <laughs> you know, we don't want to tie them to this dark story that you're doing. But in absorbing all these characters and publishing over so many decades, DC's continuity was was a little muddled, to say the least, when it came to which characters belonged where, who knew who, and what stories were actually canon. So my favorite event that I brought up in our unpopular opinions on YouTube, Crisis on Infinite Earths by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, though I do love the art, I think it is way ahead of its time and it is massive event. The story, I feel, falls short for me, but that's besides the point. Set out to erase some of these realities and try to make it into one Earth, essentially. Merge all the others and ultimately reboot the DC Universe in a cohesive continuity. At least that was the plan. So, Adam, why Zero Hour? Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing you have to say to yourself. Like, why did they feel after just a few years they needed to do it all again? So, apparently, DC didn't crack the whip enough with their writers and editors regarding this new continuity that had been established post-crisis on Infinite Earths. And as a result, a second generation of confusion in what was the official time timeline of the DC Universe resulted in less than a decade. So, Dan Jurgens, fresh from the death of Superman, he seemed to have the biggest problem with all this. He was using his clout. He set out to fix all of this. So, according to Jurgens, quote, Crisis was never flawed in and of itself. Everything else that happened that totally ignored that continuity was flawed. And that's where it broke down. My idea really was an event that would re-energize the line, touch all the books with something new and permanent somehow that gives them a 
new start. So Jurgens also emphasizes that this is meant to clearly establish three eras of the DC universe in his mind and lead us into this new third wave of new heroes. So regarding why the Zero Hour decisions will stick this time around, Jurgens says in an interview, quote, everyone was doing it for the overall good of the project, and that just means that it's not likely to happen soon again. In two years, I don't think you'll see anything that flies in the face of this. <laughs> so he was very confident that all the same people would still be there and everybody would still be in agreement. We, we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> so but there's something in here to, to make it more clear, I assume, Dan Jurgens created a literal fold-out timeline that is included in Zero Hour issue number zero itself. So I'm curious for you, Michael, I know you have a, a collected edition of Zero Hour. Did it come with that timeline? Yes, I did see this timeline in the book. The timeline is interesting, but it's not a bit confusing. Because it starts 15 billion years ago with yeah. the Big Bang. I mean, that's how far back this timeline goes. It's like, <laughs> uh, okay, we could have probably started a little bit sooner than that. But, I mean, it's cool. I think years and years later, when Grant Morrison does a book called Multiversity, he really like spent the time and broke everything down, broke every earth down. If you haven't picked up that hardcover book, you should get Multiversity. It is really, really interesting. Yeah, I've always wanted to read it. It sounded like a lot of fun. It's a very cool book. It's big. It's a thick book, like, but it's very, it's worth picking up. Well, one thing I want to mention here real quick, though, is when you look at late 1700s to early 1800s, they mention Tomahawk and then a character called Hawk, son of Tomahawk. <laughs> so apparently there was a spin-off book from Tomahawk. It was that popular. And there there he is. There's Jonah Hex. He, he appears in the 1800s, mid to late. Look at that. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, because it's fully illustrated. You know, you see all the characters they're trying to highlight. Be like, yeah, these people were there at this time and all that. But, but either way, like, yeah, I, I assume he made it more than anything for the people in the office. Like, put this up. Refer to this when you're writing your stories so you don't mess anything up, guys. Okay? We don't want to get into trouble with all this again. Um, I will mention on the issue, the actual physical zero hour number zero issue that I have, it is a back gatefold cover. So, so the front of the issue is just all white, but then this folds out as the last page of the back cover into the huge timeline. In, in the trade, it's basically just in the book a couple pages long oh and i see it's it's cool though i like it i mean it, if it was a poster i'd definitely put it up and i do find it interesting how like the right before zero hour they're showcasing asriel and bane and doomsday kyle rayner green lantern the redesigned donna troy and redesigned guy gardner as arsenal or whatever they call them what warrior warrior yeah. right so yeah they're really trying to say this is what's to come and get ready for it but we've got the books open now michael what is zero hour about okay well funny enough in wizard magazine several times they spoiled who the villain was in the books which I find really funny. But essentially, there is a character in this book who essentially wants to reset time and control everything. What was that character's name? It Extent. Was yeah, Extent, yes. Who apparently 
was the former Hawk from Hawk and Dove or something? Yeah, like they they were trying to tie it into the 2001 Armageddon storyline from a few years prior to that, where his identity had been ruined because it was supposed to be Captain Adam or whatever was the monarch, yeah. and then it leaked, and so they changed it to Hawk of Hawk and Dove, and everybody's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> very confusing. But basically, the crisis in, in 1986 had never ended. It was ongoing uh there have been continued anomalies in the time stream which is a way of explaining all the continuity problems that have occurred in the real world comics since then this comes to a forefront when a non-paralyzed Batgirl, multiple Hawkmen, and more outdated versions of DC characters show up in the universe. Even child Dick Grayson as Robin shows up at one point in, in the Batman trade, and so on and so forth. There's just so many different versions of the characters. Meanwhile, there is a mysterious character who is destroying realities in order to wipe out the universe and end everything, and it ends up being Hal Jordan, who is now calling himself Parallax, now empowered with all the energy of the main power battery on Oa. He eliminates all universes so he can rebuild the perfect one in his vision. A few heroes manage to go back in time before they are destroyed and gather other heroes to confront Hal prior to this white event and stop him. This whole series kind of feels like a formality. It's like if Dan Jurgens could have just published the timeline and then just said, hey, this is a new poster to put on your wall, everybody, and uh, next month, jump on in. You know, like I'm sure that would have been easier than having to put together all this story because it's it's interesting. They, the event was told in five issues. They counted down from four to zero zero that were published through july and august of 1994 and there's a countdown clock yes during this all the dc comics got a zero issue as part of zero month which would reboot or reintroduce the premise of their story you know in the case of characters like batman and superman they didn't make really any major changes but they had fun with the history of the characters yet something like fate was a complete reimagining you know to give the book a 90s edge or in the case of green lantern it was the beginning of a new character's journey with kyle rayner taking over you know as the new hero of the title here's the thought on that the zero issues and i i love zero issues they did that in the new 52 as well to kind of tell them what happened prior to the start of the issue number one the zero issues for this particular story that i read were not really that good <laughs> i really didn't like them the batman one was not good the catwoman one was not good i was like oh boo <laughs> this is this is this is not great dc actually teased readers with a list of possible story points to be revealed in Zero Hour, most of which were pure silliness and just <laughs> just nonsense. So before we talk about what actually happened, let's read through these fake-outs 
on the DC Universe page. Oh boy. This is what they say. They say, with zero hour fast approaching, the time anomalies cropping up everywhere have affected not only the DC Universe, but our readers as well. With speculation and rumors escalating at an incredible rate, no one can agree on what the DC Universe will be like after this five-issue weekly miniseries. Here are only a small fraction of the rumors we've heard at Zero Hour Central. While some of these may actually be true, others, well, judge for yourself. (laughs) Barbara Gordon becomes Batgirl again. Meanwhile, Azrael assumes the identity of Oracle, setting the stage for Oracle Fall, (laughs) Oracle the Crusade, Oracle Quest the Search, and Oracle's End. (laughs) This feels like it belongs in Wizard. Like, this is just perfect. It really does. (laughs) Next up here, the Spectre is revealed as the main villain behind Zero Hour, leading to a major battle between him and the DC Universe. Hmm. It's a good guess. It's a good guess, but not right. <laughs> Damages real parents, the human bomb, and phantom lady. <laughs> the JSA, JLI, and Legion fall. Phase regains her memory and returns to the 30th century. I assume that's Legion or Legionnaires or one of those. Yeah, it's one of the Legionnaires, yes. And instead it says Phase returns to the 30th century, but doesn't regain her memory. <laughs> They're just playing the, playing the odds there. It's one or the other. They they also did that same kind of trope when uh, Jeff Johns did his JSA run. They sent the future 30th century Starman back to the, the present day, and he too lost his memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole trope that they keep falling into in DC. Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew return to save the day in Zero Hour. If that happened, <laughs> holy crow, that would be awesome. Well, did you say that just happened recently, Michael? Weren't they integrated into one of the big events at DC, like the Future State or something? Yes, I did see them in, in Future <laughs> Yes, Captain Carrot was there in a couple different things. And, and another rumor here, just to throw you off the track, damages real parents Libby Lawrence and Dan the Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Casualties. Hawkwoman, the Atom, Wave Rider, Valor. Again? Who was Valor? Nobody knows. <laughs> oh, here's one for me. The Ray becomes a member of the New Titans. Dick Grayson becomes Robin again. Warrior finally decides on a costume. <laughs> Have a little fun with Guy there. Yeah, really. I like Guy Gardner, too. <laughs> Still the alcoholic Green Lantern you're gonna get. <laughs> Damages real parents, Hawk and Dove? They're really <laughs> to this kind of trope here. Villains, Glorith, the Anti-Monitor, the Time Trapper, Monarch. Mm, sort of true. Sort of. That's A couple good. of them appear. There's mention of others. Yes, there are. Gunfire blows up the world. <laughs> Gunfire must have been a Bloodlines character. That's what I, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, Battle of the Superboys. Return of the Insect Queen. Turtle Boy. Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see Battle of the Superboys. That would be pretty cool. They do kind of do that in Infinite Crisis. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I thought there was a little something going on like that. Anima, the Ray, Superboy, and Damage form a new teenage super team. Maybe so. Maybe. 
We learn it was Hal Jordan's clone who went bad in Emerald Twilight. The real Hal Jordan has been wandering around Europe since issue number 150. Uh, poking a little fun at Marvel, eh? With the Spider-Clone saga. Yeah, I guess so. The Justice League will be reunited with a long-lost member. Ooh, we're actually going to get into that in a little bit here. That's yeah. an interesting one. Uh, the Legion of Superheroes and the Legionnaires together again for the very last time. They're basically the same thing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Carlin is revealed to be the main villain of Zero Hour. Da-da-da! Okay, so, yeah, so those are some of the rumors and uh, some of the jokes they tried to use to throw you off there. So this is what it comes down to, Michael. For you, what, you know, you said, like, the tie-in issues weren't that great. I mean, we've been talking offline for a while. You've been teasing it on the podcast that this is cuckoo bananas, that your words. I mean, this is bonkers <laughs> stuff. So what parts of the main Zero Hour story stood out to you, either because they were good, you're like, well, it's cool, or just like, huh? Okay, so the main book, the first issue, I hated. The preceding issues forward, I really enjoyed. I love the idea of having an alternate Earth Batgirl in the fold and sort of like being a part of it. I did like the idea that Power Girl was pregnant, even though I never knew that existed. I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like, what? Like, what it's... is going on? Like, and she keeps her talking about it, but you're like, but who was the dad? Like, they yeah. don't even, they even mention anything. It's, it's Immaculate Conception. I yeah. guess. The main Zero Hour book, I'll be honest with you, is not as good as Emerald Twilight. It's not as good as New Dawn. I was kind of bummed out because I had literally read that just before I started this, and I felt that this was not a strong follow-up to that, especially how late it takes Hal Jordan to show up in this story. I almost didn't care a little bit. Yeah, because this is like the quintessential of what you don't like about a crossover story, because that's what it is. It's literally just bits and pieces and characters going in and out, and you have to follow them off-panel now to their tie-in book. You know, so, so it's like you get a scene or a couple panels that are part of an actual issue, which I thought was cool. Like, when you see Batgirl chasing the Joker mm -hmm. in one issue, and then what happens? You have to go to that Batman issue, and they show you the same thing, but it's yep. from a different angle, yep. which is kind of cool. The Batman Zero Hour book, there's like five or six stories in this thing. The first three and the last one are really, really good. The first one focuses on Batgirl. The second one focuses on Dick Grayson teaming up with Tim Drake as two robins and the last one focuses on dick grayson becoming batman yeah and the the ones in the middle basically two issues back to back told the origin story of batman again like the death of his parents and like mm. we've seen this four million times <laughs> the two catwoman stories one makes no sense like she gets like a prehistoric tiger in her apartment and uh like she's kind of like wrestling with that the second uh, catwoman story told her origin which was very very interesting of like her father and how she went to an orphanage and how she kind of becomes catwoman that was very interesting i really enjoyed that story parts of it were a little meh but most of it was pretty decent there's just a, a handful of stories in between them just like how many times do i need to see batman 
origin story in the same book, and I'm seeing it twice in two different issues. Yeah, well, and speaking of Batgirl, you know, the the Bat books, like, this is the thing, like, when I was was first reading, I was like, are they really trying to give us a Batgirl who can walk now? Because to me, like, Barbara Gordon had evolved so much and was doing way more as Oracle than she could have as Batgirl, because there's plenty of vigilantes and costumes running around DC. You know, like, Batgirl is an awesome design, you know, you want to see the character in action, but as a character, Barbara Gordon is much cooler in the chair, and she's got so much, there's many more levels to work with when, when you've got that character in that sense. So the fact that, you know, spoiler, obviously, here we're talking about it, at the end, Batgirl kind of switches sides. She sides with the bad guys because they are saying, we're going to create a universe for you where you will exist and you will matter, you know, and then she switches sides that eventually switches back to the good side and gets killed. So it, it was like, oh, okay, so they're not going to use her. But I thought they were trying to reintroduce that Batgirl. I was like, what are they going to do with our Barbara Gordon? So fun fact about that, in the Zero Hour Batman book, you find out that she's Batgirl from another Earth. And she is Batman's love interest. Oh, yes. They did tease a little bit of that. Yeah. And it's like a blink and you miss it moment, mm-hmm. but it happens and you're just like, so this is where that idea came from? Like, interesting. Very interesting that they pulled that. I think the art in this book is really, really good. I really enjoy the design, the character design. And again, the many different Hawkman you see. <laughs> There's like one panel where they're in, in the actual main book where you just see like 15 Hawkmen just flying in in all different armors. I'm like, what is going on? So yeah, and like at, at one point, Hawkman is in his like JSA outfit and he's attacking Vandal Savage. So then all of a sudden he splits into like, yeah, eight different Hawkmen and they're all like lined up and he's like, what? I feel fine. And Vandal Savage is like, what's going on? But Dan Jurgens really seemed to have it out for the current version of Hawkman with the metal wings because there actually there was an interview where he basically says that the nth metal wings anybody could be Hawkman if they wore those but if you have physical majestic bird wings fused into your back then you are the one and only so it just it really stood out to me like how often they they showed like the actual fusing of all the Hawkmen into one including Hawkwoman like they all get zapped together and so I, I just the fact that he was so focused on that I actually read the Hawkman Zero issue to try and get a more clear understanding of mm-hmm. what the current Hawkman was, because I had also read during the Bloodlines crossover when I was covering that on the mini episodes. I read this like Hawkman story, and I'm just like, yeah, this is confusing, because he keeps saying, like, well, I'm not that Hawkman. You know, like, I'm not that one. I'm like, well, what happened to him then? Where is that guy? That Everybody seems to know a different Hawkman, you know, like, so it's, it just, it really was pretty muddled, and I don't know. All they did here is he's, he basically looks like you know, a cool, gritty Hawkman, but now he has actually feathery wings instead of the metal wings. That was really Dan Jurgens' main agenda, I think. And <laughs> outside of that, like, to me, like, Extant's mission, he's literally just a red herring. Like, he's, yeah. his costume is red, and he's the red herring. He's taking focus away from the fact that Hal Jordan is actually this big bad who you just see, like, in shadow or really far away. Yeah. Or, like, you, you, they don't reveal who it is is that it's like going around kind of killing all these time-based characters as well, like the Time Trapper, this weird cloaked character I've never heard of. Yeah. 
I never heard of it to this book either. Yeah, and to your point, Michael, like talking about like, is it a good follow up to you know Emerald Twilight and all of that? It's not, but it is more that than anything else. Like, it's a Hal Jordan story. Yeah, is kind of how it feels. Superman feels almost like secondary in this story. Oh Bat- yeah, Batman gets wiped out in the book. He's gone. Like, mm-hmm. gone, gone. Because they don't want to mess with his continuity. They're like, his continuity's fine. Don't mess with it. <laughs> Green Arrow is probably the most interesting in this book, like, because he genuinely is, like, heartbroken in multiple ways at the end of this book. And I was like, I love Green Arrow. I love that character. I really do. Like, he's one of my favorite DC characters of all time. And the end of this story, Green Arrow's arc is very, very interesting. It's really, really cool. I do want to, you know, Google and figure out whatever happened to the power girl pregnancy after this yes. baby is born <laughs> and if they even establish who the father is because i have never heard of this again since this issue and i don't know where it comes from i'm like and i know a lot about power girl i knew nothing about i this. know i was hoping you would be able to fill me in i was shocked i was like what a baby and by the way for all of you listening like it feels like we're jumping around all over the place this is what the book does Man. All, all these books it's just this is happening here this is happening here okay and now we're going back in time okay now we're in a pocket universe while everything explodes over here yes. now we're gonna jump back around to right before it happened and you're like I, I, I can't follow any of this, but... There's a white light over here. There's rainbows over here. Yeah. <laughs> like, and what? what they do is they, they introduce also these characters that are like alternate reality characters. And one of them is the Alpha Centurion. So one of the pictures, or one of the issues I actually picked up in a quarter bin prior to this, it was the Adventures of Alpha Centurion. So Superman ends up in an alternate reality metropolis where he finds out that this guy named Alpha Centurion is the protector of the city. He's got billboards, like he's really got the whole superheroing game uh, wrapped up. And he is also in a romantic relationship with Lois Lane. Clark Kent is not in the picture, which really throws him off. And to top it all off, This Alpha Centurion character, his origin is 100% a ripoff of Exo Manowar from Valiant. I mean, aside from this first fact, he was a Roman centurion instead of a Visigoth warrior who was fighting the Romans. But he was a Roman centurion abducted by aliens, given special armor that then escaped and was left on Earth in the 20th century. So it's not like he was an old character either that they like resurrected and maybe, you know, Jim Shooter was inspired by. He was created for this event. So I say shame on you, DC Comics, for ripping off Valiant. (laughs) You didn't do it better. This guy's helmet is stupider than Exo Manowar's helmet, if you can believe it. He looks like the Juggernaut in X3, The Last Stand. That's pretty funny. The one thing that I want to point out about this book, and this is where I got really confused right out of the gate, right? So the first issue is kind of like a a lead up into this. And you have this character named the wave rider and he is in the vanishing point. So if you know anything about the vanishing point in DC comics, it's basically the point where time does not matter. It is basically the time between time. And he partners with this other guy that if you look at it, this character is a complete ripoff of cable. Like looks exactly (laughs) like cable. 
and I don't even know what the character's name is because they don't say his name till like way late in the issue. And I was so annoyed at that point. I was like, what has happened? Just get me through this stupid thing. I'm trying to find this guy's name, but it looks just like Cable. It's really weird. Yeah, well, the other thing to mention here is that, you know, the Justice Society, we've mentioned them quite a bit. They are a big focus of this story because the other thing that Dan Jurgen said he was trying to establish was, okay, there was, there was a golden age and these heroes existed at that time, but that was like 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. So they would be very old right now. So how is it that they're still basically just like middle aged when they should be elderly? And so that happens in, at this point in the story. Yeah, so they basically say that they have some sort of magic that's keeping them young forever. Yeah, I was like, who did that? (laughs) And Extant rips that away from all of them and basically ages most of them, except for Green Lantern. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, because then eventually Alan Scott, Green Lantern, after all the Justice Society guys basically die, it's him and Jay Garrick Flash, and they both basically renounce being their iconic personas. You know, Jay Garrick Mm -hmm. rips the lightning bolt off his shirt, and then Alan Scott gives his Green Lantern ring to Kyle Rayner, and then walks off. And so it's really, it's a weird story, because I was like, he just has power inside of him now is that what it's going what's going on with alan scott i guess but in the end of zero hour they kill off kyle rayner well so they say that's the weird thing because yeah the final battle everybody's confronting hal he's saying don't you see he's trying to convince everybody we can make everything right i was thinking too small just trying to rebuild coast city we're at the end of time we can do this we can make the universe the way it needs to be and all this stuff and so yeah there's this battle and as they charge up damage who is this new young superhero who just got his own book and everybody like pours their energy into him and then he's able to create the big bang they try to protect Kyle at the last second but they fail so he and Hal Jordan disappear mm-hmm. and they're like he's dead he's dead but if you go to the zero issue of Green Lantern now you have a story that is a showdown between Kyle and Hal and Hal convinces Kyle like after he's just seen all this he's like oh I guess I got a little out of control there didn't I <laughs> and Kyle gives him the ring he's like yeah I got this by luck anyway it was just happenstance I wasn't supposed to be Green Lantern he gives Hal the and instantly Hal turns again. He's like, yes, I can finally do it. No, I mustn't give up. I must re- remake the universe again. He's, he's going to start the whole thing all over again. And Kyle's like, uh-oh. So now Kyle is trying to like reason with them throughout this issue. And they battle each other throughout the issue while having this philosophical discussion. I'm so glad I didn't read that because I it, it almost feels better that he dies and I just left it at <laughs> Well, and it's dark, too, because they're fighting through, like, this mausoleum of all these dead Green Lanterns that Hal killed, and they're, like, chucking corpses at each other and stuff, <laughs> like Kilowog's skull at one point. Hal is like, oh, I, I shouldn't have done that. But then later on in the issue, Kyle grabs Kilowog's skull and chucks it at Hal, and he vaporizes it. He was like, there is no respect here for all wow. this stuff they were just setting up. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. But, again, that issue feels like... Like, that's what really the, the story issue. of Zero Hour is about. Yeah, like, it's just, what is what was next for Hal? Okay, he became Parallax. Okay, and now he's trying to do this big thing. He is a threat to the entire DC Universe. He is a big deal. They did another thing that really annoyed me in this book. In, like, the first issue. They killed off another Flash! And they killed off <laughs> Wally West! But, like, he wasn't gone, though. Like, I, and, and they basically wanted to bring Impulse... In as the next 
you know, speedster, mm-hmm. and, but like they wipe out Wally West and you, you have Jay Garrick standing there holding the suit of another flash. <laughs> You're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, why you got to re repeat that beat. And plus like, you know, when we had Steven Sadak on as a guest, he mentioned that, yeah, they were hyping it up. Like it's the death of a flash and all this stuff, but he wasn't, he was just, I feel like it was just like Mark Wade saying, I don't want my flash in this. I don't want my, you don't mess up my character. I got all this stuff planned. <laughs> yeah. So it is a muddled mess and I don't know that it fixed anything, but it did introduce some new characters. So the latter half of this issue is promoting all the changes changes that are happening to the entire line of dc books as a result of zero hour uh, we're not we don't have time to go through them all obviously we're going to highlight a few i'll start with this the fact that the justice league has now split into three different factions due to internal strife is what they report so wonder woman is leading a crew of kind of the more traditional heroes like hawkman and the flash wally west you know is part of her crew and they say it's just going to grow and grow so that's going to be like the main group but then martian manhunt is leading a crew of young heroes as was teased in that in that list like the ray is part of this team for example that's a justice league task force it also includes a guy named triumph now this was interesting to me because they say he claims that he was part of the original justice league of america lineup that got blipped out of existence because of crisis so no one remembers him as a founding member of the justice league so i think that's kind of a fun premise he's very generic looking i don't think as i understand it he eventually like like, turned and became a villain they had to defeat like he he just went crazy i guess because nobody would give him props (laughs) nobody gave him respect but it kind of reminded me of the century that marvel does years later you know kind of say like here's this old character that was always part of the universe but nobody remembered him but then also the third J- justice league book is called extreme justice of course it is it's 90s of course Scott captain adam he is leading booster gold blue beetle and some other characters and they're like a rogue image style group who's like they're more violent and brash i actually have the zero issue here which i don't think was tied into zero hour because it has a the indicia said it was like january of 95 so that was many many months later but it's really kind of crazy because blue beetle is basically drawn like todd mcfarlane's spider-man and like every everything else yeah just looks like it should be in an image book it's 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 interesting but not great like blue beetle and booster gold are not really violent characters yeah I know, they really amp it up in this one, trying to make them look intense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels very 90s. It almost feels like, hey, let's make a gritty Justice League International. Here we go. <laughs> but also, Superman editor Mike Carlin teases a storyline, where he says, where they find a body in Superman's tomb. He says, all tests conclude that the dead body is the real Superman, and that leaves long hair Superman to wonder if he has not been deluding himself or been programmed or anything to think he was the real Superman. Kind of like other imposters thought when they showed up. But then it goes over to here and says... Carlin is unwilling to reveal if this mysterious body is some kind of Superman clone. Quote, It might be Spider-Man's clone, he laughs. Don't tell Danny Figaroth, but that is what we are planning. He'll really be (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. I I just love how everybody thought Spider-Clone Saga was the stupidest idea ever. Wizard, DC, everybody's just gonna dump on Marvel for that. And they keep bringing it back. (laughs) 
which is crazy. <laughs> Dark Stars are basically the universal police force who will take a more active role since Hal Jordan wiped out the Green Lantern Corp. Among their ranks now are the former Wonder Girl Donna Troy, who, another character, one of my favorites, rules and is cool in this book, and I like her design in this book a lot. Former Green Lantern of Earth, John Stewart, post-Zero Hour, Bruce Wayne is back as Batman, but is taking another hiatus and passing the mantle to Nightwing Dick Grayson, who will team up with Tim Drake Robin to battle Two-Face. This is a short-lived uh, Batman-Dick Grayson thing. They do it again much, much more after Batman R.I.P. and right. after Final Crisis. With Damien, yeah. Yeah. Batman R.I.P. is another book that I don't really like. It's not, <laughs> not not great. I mean, it's has good ideas, but it's not great overall. Also, during Zero Hour, one of the things we didn't bring up was Dr. Fate. Apparently was two beings, like a husband and wife, like that they were combined into one body as Dr. Fate. So he got split into two beings, and then his helmet and his cloak and his medallion, like, they all separated. And we see that uh, in the Dr. Fate series that continues after this simply called fate they get killed by a demon overlord and then the power of the fate amulet helmet and cape transfer to this like mercenary antiquities dealer he's basically like an evil indiana jones uh, or an amoral indiana jones named jared stevens who becomes fate and he now must oh. battle invading demon hordes with the helmet and amulet becoming armor so like on one side of his body he's got this giant shoulder pad that's made of the armor obviously it's the 90s yeah <laughs> and then the helmet like just becomes other parts of metal on his costume and turns into ank shaped daggers that he can throw at people and the cape is a mystical bandage that holds this he had got his arm like all deformed and damaged in the fight and the cape is like a wrapping that keeps it together so technically he's got the dr fate costume but it's just reconfigured and it's really stupid looking. He's just got this red jumpsuit. Otherwise, eventually they change it to a black suit. And he had a mullet originally. They cut his hair. To just... They're always trying to, like, make him work. So, you know what that character looks like? And, and there's a piece of art on it in the issue for Wizard. It looks like one of the character creations that a fan would have designed and mailed into Wizard magazine. And said, that hey, is a good point. My kind of hero. Yeah, I've created this character. His name is Fate. This is what he looks like. He's got a dagger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I toyed with uh, covering this whole series in no, a mini episode. I don't, read all 12 issues. Don't. It wasn't worth it. You read the issues? I got them in a discount bin at a comic book store. I was like, they're all here. I've always wanted to read this since I saw the first ad for it because it was so stupid. And it ended up being pretty stupid. So you basically walked into a comic book store with a handful of $1 bills, lit them on fire, and handed them to the cashier and <laughs> said, here, I'm going to take these books and place this burning money because I just did that. Well, the only two things I'll mention that was cool in the series is that eventually he meets up with the Alan Scott Green Lantern, who is not Green Lantern anymore because he's renounced that in Zero Hour. Now he is calling himself Sentinel. And then also he has a cool team up with Zatanna at one point, which is a fun little one-off story. But yeah, but overall, the character is just not appealing at all. But also, you mentioned Green Arrow, Michael. He 
is feeling guilt over killing Hal Jordan. Yes, the end of the story, Kyle Rayner is holding on to Hal Jordan, and then Oliver Queen has to make the decision, and he shoots an arrow into Parallax's chest, and they, they think that they have killed him, but they have not killed him, you know? like. Yeah. But then they get zapped away, so he's feeling bad about it, and he goes to a monastery in his new series to reevaluate his life and find inner peace, but he decides to go back out as a hero with a new costume and a new attitude, as well as a new young monk sidekick. <laughs> He also forms some sort of like bond with the other Earth Batgirl as well, and is heartbroken when she dies. Oh. And also killing Hal Jordan. Now, fun fact about the new young monk sidekick. <laughs> do you know who that character is? No idea. Connor Hawk, his son. Whoa! Boom, goes the dynamite. <laughs> And uh, that's a whole thing that gets unraveled later on and yada, yada, yada. But it's cool. By the way, speaking of fan art, this picture that you see there, Michael, in this issue, it looks like somebody just threw a concept to DC and mailed it in. They're like, yeah, we'll use this costume. 100%. Send that kid a check. Yeah. 100%. It, it's such bad art. Like, it's bad coloring. It's bad inking. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> this was done on, a, on like, a loose-leaf piece of paper. This yeah. and that fake character, they literally were <laughs> taking submissions from fans. As I mentioned earlier, the Wally West Flash was touted as dying during Zero Hour, and Impulse was the hot new speedster on the block. And I don't like Impulse bart allen at all i hate <laughs> that character so much beyond hate hate it hate 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 it but wally will be back becoming more of an energy being when he runs and the secrets of the speed force will be revealed in a story called terminal velocity another very 90s term sounds like it would be a double feature with broken uh, arrow or something and, and there was another movie called Escape Velocity. Oh. <laughs> this is a, was a celebrated run by writer Mark Wade. Guy Gardner is now in his own title, Guy Gardner, Warrior, where since Hal Jordan basically destroyed his power ring, it turns out Guy has new alien powers, which they sort of establish in this book, and it just, whoa. <laughs> Like, He's like, I just thought of a gun, and a gun popped out of my arm. Magically <laughs> manifest. What's funny is, though, so, like, the Guy Gardner character in Zero Hour, his warrior uniform is red. And during the Green Lantern run where they have the basically the spectrum of, of the the lantern rings. We have the red lanterns, the orange mm -hmm. lanterns, the yellows, the indigos, and so on and so forth. Guy Gardner becomes a red lantern. Ah, because he's got rage or something like that. And that's, so, yeah, he's got alien powers, which allow him to create weapons. Whew. Yeah, he's trying to find something for a guy to do. He doesn't have the bowl cut anymore. He's got a flat top. But you mentioned this guy earlier, Michael. There's this young hero named Damage. He is getting his own book where the mystery is, who are the superhuman parents from which he inherited his destructive powers? I actually picked up the first issue of this one as well in a quarter bin. And it's not bad, but it's just kind of like, you know, young teenager. Oh no, somebody detected that I have powers. Now they're attacking me at school. What do I do? Exactly. 
that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, he just like absorbs energy and then creates explosions. That's basically his power. And damages another character that they again rebooted either in New 52 or DC Rebirth. I think it was New 52. And basically they tried to make him as the Grey Hulk. <laughs> interesting now also there's a new heir to the starman legacy due to the death of the original justice society starman which becomes a critically acclaimed book in the years that follow i remember this like james robinson starman yeah it's a good book they're going to talk about it a lot in wizard so i may have to read a few issues one of these days it's really good and okay and basically that version of starman is the one that gives the power of of the Starman, whatever, to Stargirl that Jeff Johns creates. Oh, okay. Yeah, because even in this, like, in this issue, the dying dad, like, passes his rod on to another son. <laughs> I know, that sounds bad. <laughs> Isn't that what it's called, though? Isn't it called, like, his, his cosmic rod or something? I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> the dying dad passes his rod to his son. <laughs> But then I guess that one that he trusted dies, and then this other Starman, the other brother, ends up taking on the mantle. But finally, of the ones we'll mention this time around, they tell us that Wonder Woman is going through some changes, and that her worthiness to hold the mantle of Wonder Woman is called into question, so Diana loses a contest and her title to Artemis, part of this more violent band of Amazons. And she does this, really, she kind of gives it up on her own. I, I actually read a few of these issues, because I always remembered the the covers and I remembered this change and it's like yeah so Diana kind of loses on purpose so Artemis will take over so she could operate outside the mandates of Hippolyta her mother who's been acting very strangely so as a result Diana gets a new like black biker shorts and sports bra jacket look while Artemis puts on the traditional costume but now she has to adjust to the world of man as this new more violent Wonder Woman and I actually really liked it like you know, it's it 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 a cool too. style. Yeah, it, it is cool. It is really cool. And and Artemis does come back periodically in the comics, and they've paid reference to her being Wonder Woman at certain points. I also kind of like when Wonder Woman uh, Diana Prince isn't always Wonder Woman. Like she's a covert op. Sometimes she does different things. She's been a spy. I kind of like it when she's not just scantily clad bikini Wonder Woman. I, I, I like that she can do other things and doesn't have to be just that. Yeah, I mean, it's still the era, like, they call out in that story that she's like, she's disgraced to her heritage by working at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> you know, like, they really make fun of that, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. And, and now in 2021, fast food restaurants are giving people $500 signing bonuses to come to work for them. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of other stuff. There's something called like the Zeno Brood, which is another wannabe image title. There's Primal Force. There's all these new team books they're trying to get off the ground. That did not last and did not take. Not at all. Uh, but the last thing I'll mention here is, you know, so in issue 36, they had a, a contest for Zero Hour where you could win all the tie-in books. But inside this issue, they have a Zero Hour sweepstakes that basically just says, 
says, when the DC Universe shatters this August, you could be there. Not that you'd want to be there, but to win shattering prizes, kind of clever how we got shattering in there, eh? Uh, which commemorate its death, destruction, and after that's all done with, the rebirth, we pull out all the stops on this one, people, so what can you win? So this is weird, because they already, in the other contests, are giving away all the tie-in issues, but here is what they say, there are uh, 10 to zero different prizes this is the joke so it starts at 10 where it's just like a whatever prize and then it goes to zero which is the big prize okay so here's what you get number 10 is a gold version of wizard beyond zero hour special edition so now i have to find the gold version of this magazine (laughs) we must have complete archives followed by a number nine is the gold version of the wizard superman tribute edition which i didn't know existed number eight is the batman adventure mad love comic book that ain't bad i have that that's a good book number seven is batman a death of the family or batman a lonely place of dying paperback so i don't know if you get to choose or they choose for you number six robin a hero reborn i have that trade or the ray in a a blaze of power i have both those trades You better end up not being number six, then. (laughs) I guess I hope not. Uh, The number five is complete sets of the Zero Hour miniseries. Five books. No, thank you. Four is the Death of Superman trade paperback, as if everybody didn't already have that. But number three, Michael, the Emerald Dawn trade paperback. Number two is a complete set of all the Zero Month issues. That's 40 total issues. 40 issues. No, thank you. (laughs) That is crazy that they expected us to read those. Uh, And number one is the DC Archives Volume 1 editions of Batman, Superman, Justice League of America, and Shazam. Okay, that's kind of cool. I don't know what those archives look like, but it sounds pretty good. Are they black and white ones, maybe? They might be ones well, that's what I was wondering, if they're just like, you know, the phone book style that the Marvel was doing with the Essentials. I think so. But the grand prize, prize number zero, is a copy of the Silver Age Green Lantern number one from 1960. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. So this one's for you, Michael. You could have won because they say, what do you have to do to enter? Identify the superheroine who gave birth during zero hours. (laughs) Michael, just send in your entry form now. We don't know what came of that story, but you could still win. (laughs) I still want to know what is currently in the Wizard Press office in Congress, New York. I am going to, at some point, drive to Connecticut, pick up Stephen, and then drive to Congress. He's not going to go past Congress to get Stephen, but I'm going <laughs> to go get him, and we're going to go find out what is there. you got to dig around on the grounds. So you got to find out, did they, like, bury a time capsule at some point? i got to look through these issues, you know? Like, they put something under the floorboards? You never know. Can you imagine you go into the warehouse, and it's like Indiana Jones, and you're sort of like, like Raiders of the Lost like you're walking through and you're like what's in here and you like step on a creaky floorboard and you, you open it up and it's like action comics number one you're like holy crap the dream is like when the other tenants moved in there was like one dusty box that they didn't bother to take with them and yeah they put it in a storage room and they never looked at it and then you go in there and you're just like i can't believe it it's a gold edition of beyond zero hour <laughs> It's the complete Deathmate collection, yes! Oh, no way! But there you go, guys. We finally got to it beyond Zero Hour, one of the uh, the ugliest special editions and uh, kind of a mess of a story. I, w- I wish we had more positive things to say, but it certainly gave us some laughs. Yes, it did. It, <laughs> it was an event. That's about all we could say. It, it was 
was a comic. It was something. <laughs> uh, listen, you know, overall, I think it's interesting. I don't really think that it changed all that much because I don't feel like they stuck with this methodology too long and it's sort of like reverted back to certain things. But overall, I mean, I would have liked to see the actual end fight of Kyle Rayner and Hal Jordan in the actual book. That would have been nice. But, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's, yeah. a, bit of, it's a bit all over the place. They tried to do too much, I think, and it was too big. Well, that's ultimately what I will say. My final thought is, you know, you criticized the length of Crisis on Infinite Earths that it just felt way too long. But now I realize you need that much time to tell a story this complex. Like, you need to let it breathe a little bit. You need to let stuff play out a little bit and not make it all about the 40 tie-in issues. And one thing that I noticed that you said in this that I didn't realize that that was the case, this main book came out over four weeks. Like, it was a back-to-back weekly. Yes. That's really, really ballsy for back then to be able to do that. And it kind of shows, like, they should have given it a month month to month time like this should have been probably a six or seven issue book that spanned a little bit more time to release in my opinion yeah and like i say ultimately i just feel like this was an editorial mandate where they're just like this is what it's going to be now guys that they just had to cram a story around the mandate you know they had to be like okay uh, we're going to justify it because this happened and this happened a lot of time stuff and and hal jordan wiped everything out but then wave rider and uh, other guy in a chair moved everybody around you know what else i noticed about this that i never pointed out till just now uh hal jordan this as parallax does not have have the gray sideburns in this hmm. he just has brown hair again even though later on they say the parallax that, that's how you knew it was parallax because yeah. it caused the white temples yeah which is weird another retcon all right guys well there you go and i guess we'll see you beyond zero hour <laughs> gold edition <laughs> great seriously i gotta see if that is anywhere if that exists that will just that will blow my mind This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.